Welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Wonderman Thompson Technology. I'm Joa Milne, and once a month, we'll be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. Data is one of the most valuable assets a business can have, informing decision-making, shaping product development, and driving the customer experience. Brands have relied on cookies to collect sufficient data for years, which have been created by third-party technology companies. However, what started as a convenient way for brands to get to know their customers has led to data scandals, growing concern from regulators and distrust from consumers. As a result, Google are phasing out third-party cookies, retiring them completely by the end of 2022, meaning brands will no longer have access to much of the data that they've used to curate personalized customer journeys. So today I'm joined by Wonderman Thompson Data's Head of Business Consulting, Olivia Hawkins, Wavemaker's Head of Precision, Tarek Windle, and Karsten Huldale, Director of AI and Identity at Wonderman Thompson MAP, to discuss this hot topic and explore how technology could help brands to offer consumers more tailored experiences in the future. Karsten, Tarek, Olivia, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Before we uh, get into today's discussion, it would be awesome to get a little bit of an intro from each of you. So, Karsten, let's start with you. Well, thank you, uh, Gemma. Uh, I'm Karsten Hyldal. I sit at Winterman Thompson Map, and I lead our data and AI uh, practices. Lovely to have you with us, Karsten. Tarek. Hi, I'm Tarek Windle. I'm, I'm head of precision at Wavemaker, so I have responsibility for all digital output uh, a wave maker from sort of a planning and activation perspective with our clients awesome thank you for coming on to the show Tarek and finally Olivia hi I'm Olivia Hawkins and I'm head of business consulting at Wonderman Thompson data amazing what a brilliant uh, lineup coming uh, here today to talk all things cookies or rather cookie-less world that we're now going to be moving into. So before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of things, let's have a little bit of an intro of the topic um, for everyone who needs to catch up. So with Google's plans to phase out the third-party cookie within the next two years, um, obviously the industry is going to experience some fundamental changes to the way marketers connect to consumers today. But what exactly are cookies and why have they earned such a bad reputation, Karsten? And let's kick off with you. <laughs> Thank you for that. So, uh, what exactly are cookies? Now, you've you've asked the technologist for for an answer to that. So, I'll I'll do a short one since we're beginning this, Gemma. But um, cookies is sort of a, an invention by a browser called Netscape in the beginning to sort of come up with a way to figure out who who's behind a browser really, and and how do we create a dialogue from page to page on a website. So in, in honesty, I think it was the conception of cookies was really created to create better experiences online. As to the second part of your question, as you're posing it, is like, how have they gotten such a bad reputation? I think, well, from the beginning, it was like from a consumer to a trusted brand, there was this relationship and the cookie actually helped with that experience. But pretty early on, like a lot of data companies started collecting, uh, we're calling it cookie syncing, collecting data sort of behind the scenes and growing and amassing large amounts of data without the consumer actually knowing, without the consumer engaging with that brand. And that has led to a, a number of um, you know, uh, privacy concerns, which I think is, is now being addressed, rightfully so. <laughs> And especially now that the, the conversation around personalization has really kicked off. And it's this kind of, I suppose, a bit of a tension, really, where um, we're sort of seeing the trend towards consumers and, of course, brands 
wanting more personalization and wanting things to to feel more human and direct and relevant but at the same time the big conversations around privacy and it, it, sometimes they feel like they're a little bit in conflict but Tarek let, let's go and go in and, and get a bit of a kickoff um, from you on this piece what do we really mean when we talk about personalization and how have brands so far curated personalized experiences to date so my thought about this is personalization is quite a broad term and it comes in a, a many different ways. Um, at the moment, we have the opportunity to target people based on their behaviors. And, and that's finding individuals with specific interests. And it can go to quite a granular level that allows us to target those individuals. Um, I suppose coming onto personalization, when you get to a, a website, for example, is as um, with our clients, with advertisers, we put people into different buckets. So depending on where they go on the website, um, we can start bucketing them up, as we call it, and treating them differently in different ways. Now, different brands that we work with have different levels of sort of complexity to that approach about how we actually start targeting those individuals. Um, and there's lots of different strategies you can put in place. Like in, in reality, a huge proportion of brands have really quite basic targeting strategies in place. So that might be gender. Um, as well as the different areas of the website they've been in, just trying to use that as a proxy for intent. But more advanced advertisers, though, when it comes to personalization, do have quite advanced strategies in terms of personalized ads. So particularly in the retargeting space, for example, um, if I take an example from a telco we worked with in the past, um, depending on the plan that you're looking at, the handset, the color of the handset, all of those different variables, you can then personalize the ads in relation to those different variables that they've seen. In addition to that, we can also run sequential messaging. So um, we can continue to essentially tell a story from different messages. So there's loads of different tips and tactics that we have in order to create a personalized experience. Um, so yeah, it's really, I suppose that the issue has become um, how invasive that is and whether the data that we're using to do that is being um, consented to, which is gonna be a major topic of today, no doubt. Yeah, so this uh, brings us on to really nicely to this final, I guess, intro point, um, bringing together this, what is a cookie? What is personalization? Why are they linked? But now, of course, the final question is, well, what does it all mean um, in a cookie-less future? How do we talk about uh, personalization and, and the kind of impact on brands um, that the death of cookies is, is going to bring in? So Olivia, tell us, what will this death of cookies really mean for organizations? Well, I think, uh, and, and Tarek and Karsten can speak to this more, but I think we should be careful uh, about calling it the death of cookies. It's not the death of all cookies. Um, it's the death of a certain type of cookie. Um, but what I think it means for organizations is that it is an opportunity to rethink our use of data. Um, there has been quite sort of for the last decade or so, there's been this sort of big excitement about big data. We need to collect more and more data and we need to use data as much as possible. And we haven't been particularly sophisticated in our use of data and how we think about what we're collecting and why we're collecting it. So I think there's a real opportunity now for brands and, and companies to just be a lot more thoughtful and a lot more precise in the use of data. Um, Karsten mentioned the the sort of the need to think about privacy and there's a kind of a growing concern around privacy um, amongst individuals and, and governments and the media, so lots of kind of different um, stakeholders. But I think there's another element to what you might call ethical data use, which is our impact on the environment. 
So data use equals energy consumption equals impact. And I think whilst the privacy story is quite well trodden now and people are fairly well aware of it and it's great, I think there is a, a new story emerging around the impact on the environment of data use. So I would say companies need to be thinking about responsible data use in terms of um, things like data minimization, purposeful use of data, thinking about the impact on the environment, thinking about the impact on people's privacy. Um, one of our clients the other day articulated this really nicely. She talked about data having moved from being an asset to being a liability. And I think we need to avoid that at all costs. You opened your answer saying it's, it's not the death of cookies, but the death of certain kinds of cookies. Let's dive into that a little bit more then, because, you know, data... I, well, you've said liabilities, but it is still one of um, organizations' greatest assets, or at least it's perceived as that by um, many different companies. Now, we're not talking about brands losing all access to data. So specifically, what kind of data will brands no longer have access to? Absolutely. And I just wanted to build on a bit that Olivia said before, if, if that's okay. Um, practically, I'm Mr. Practical, and I, I'm sort of known for it at Wavemakers as being the annoying one coming back to sort of the real basics. But the, the implication for organizations is a number of different things. And if I was going to try and bucket that up into sort of three areas, I think there's going to be, the first one is consent. I mentioned it before, but making sure that we, people actually have a reason to consent to their data being used. Because if you don't have that, it's really going to be a massive blocker moving forward. And we're no doubt going to talk about value exchanges and things like that today. But why should someone give them, provide their consent? But the, the practical impact is going to be around targeting. Um, and there's going to be sort of describing it as a revolution, not an evolution. There's going to be a big changes in the way that we target across the um, ecosystem. Also, the, probably the biggest unknown as of today um, is measurement as well. Um, and that's going to be a really, really interesting one to see how different agencies and brands overcome some of the challenges that are going to be posed there. Um, in terms of sort of like what, what, what we're going to lose and what's going to be impacted, well, there's different types of data. So first-party data is heavily talked about, um, and like that is going to remain, and probably going to need more and more focus. I'm sure, Carsten, you've got thoughts on that one as well. Um, there's going to be increased importance on second-party data relationships. Um, so that's essentially access to someone else's first-party data, and that's going to be a really interesting thing for for us to explore with our with our clients to make sure they're enhancing their own information as much as possible, potentially through second party data relationships. So the, the biggest impact is going to be around sort of the third party space. So we talked about, I've talked before about behavioral information, being able to sort of find individuals that have certain behaviors across the web and be able to target them in that way. That's going to fundamentally change. But there's other things we're going to lose, you know, tactics such as frequency capping to manage the number of ads that we're serving to individuals that won't be possible without these third party cookies. Um, there's other things like understanding reach, you know, how many people have actually reached in a certain campaign if we're in the open programmatic ecosystem. But also the other thing is the, sort of the data that we use for reporting as well. So we're so used to today and an agency is using the ad server data to report on engagements and all the facts and figures and information about that campaign. That's going to massively change because that information is going to certainly not be available as widely as it has, has been. It's going to sort of be more aggregated and less granular. So we're going to have to adapt to that. So Google Ads Data Hub, obviously, is information being housed inside Google's, Google, Google's ecosystem. Facebook conversion API, all of the major players are coming out with new solutions. So there's going to be quite a lot of change taking place. 
And Karsten, let's bring you in uh, to build on this as well and, and give us a little bit of your uh, insight in terms of how this is going to impact a brand's ability to, to know and target customers. Well, I th- you know, I'll, I'll basically build on both what uh, Olivia and Tarek uh, said. Look, I think that, uh, yes, not all cookies are going away, but if you come back to your original question and like the, the first party relationship that we're trying to strengthen here, the cookie and how Netscape, I think, conceived it to begin with was to strengthen the consumer to brand right, relationship. Then it was used for other purposes. And I think that all those other purposes, they are sort of, as Tariq sort of puts it, like especially the targeting and the measurement, we need to come up with completely different ways. Um, but I, I would also add that um, to that, that I think that the industry is is lacking on this. I think that we, we can look to other industries that are actually ahead of us. I mean, uh, ad tech has been leading a data game for, you know, decades. Uh, so, so, you know, we're, we're so accustomed to that we're leaders in data and, you know, we, we do the models and we're so advanced. But actually in terms of privacy, uh, you know, the... I think, you know, uh, Apple certainly woke us all up uh, um, a couple of years back and said, look, this, this, it's the consumer first now. And it's not, you know, the ad tech system first or the brand first, or it's the consumer first and that, that relationship. And as a part of that, you know, Google has joined in and several other parties have joined in uh, to actually create um, AI frameworks, which is sort of my particular interest and, and expertise in saying we can actually learn from audiences across the web, as long as they stay, you know, at a group level, as long as they're not, you know, amassing amounts of data on either Tariq, Olivia, me, or anyone listening to this call, like we can still, you know, get intelligent marketing out. And those frameworks are there now, but, you know, most brands are unaware of it. And, um, and so I think we've, we, we're heading into a next three, four years where the consultancy bit of actually you, as a brand, you were able to lean into uh, some third-party platform and it would fix all the problems for you. Now you need to take ownership of actually creating those solutions with some good consultancy, obviously. Um, but I think the frameworks are actually uh, there. And if we look to other industries, there's a lot to learn for us. So let's go into some of these um, examples then, because I'd love to hear um, a little bit more, not just about the kind of the, the, the switch in the technical, shall we say, um, but also you've all touched on this idea of actually we really need to rethink how we even approach data in the first place as an industry, as opposed to just going, oh, we can't do this thing anymore. Let's try and find a workaround, rather taking a bit of a step back, perhaps, and and even going, do we even need to measure this? Do we even need to know this particular thing? And so on and so forth. So I'd, I'd maybe love to just hear from you um, each, perhaps an example or another one of these frameworks, as you as you put it, Karsten, or maybe some inspiration from another industry um, as to how um, brands can, I don't want to say get around it, but how brands can, can move forward and evolve and how we can take an inspiration from those already taking steps um, in the right direction. Olivia, let's go to you. I've just got an opinion about everything. <laughs> um, I I was just interested in what, um, well, there were a couple of things maybe um, there. I've, firstly, on personalization, I've always found it absolutely fascinating that we as an industry, as a kind of a marketing industry, you know, we've, we've banged on about customer centricity now for years. And we've done so much to change the perspective of um, of marketing and really try to to bring marketing sort of 
um, into a place where we think about things from the consumer's perspective, not from the brand or the product perspective. And yet when it comes to personalization, we sort of assume that everybody is happy with the same level of personalization. We make sort of no effort to think about or to analyze how people are reacting to the personalization that we're doing. So we don't sort of look at people's reaction to sort of cookie consent or look at people's reaction to sort of um, personalized emails and think, well, actually, is that person happy with this level of personalization? And I find that fascinating because actually every individual has a very different reaction. Some people might see something that's personalized as very convenient. Another person might find it to be a huge invasion of their privacy. And we're all completely different. And frankly, we're all different depending on the brand we're interacting with. I might be much happier to share my data with a local um, company than some kind of global giant who who feels very impersonal to me. And yet as an industry, we never seem to have cracked personalization in terms of personalizing the personalization. We offer this kind of absolute blanket personalization to everybody in the database which is perhaps not the answer you're looking for, but it's something that I kind of would love Karsten and Tarek to tell me about because I just find this fascinating. I think, just to your point, Liv, I think we're at a tipping point now at the moment in terms of it's going to be much easier for people to opt out of that personalization that you talk about, um, certainly with more regulation that's coming in that's sort of heightened attention on the, on the subject. So... Um, I'm, I'm hoping, and I don't know, Liv, you've done a lot of work with on sort of data ethics side of things, written sort of numerous papers and talked about it quite heavily across the group. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that that does become the case moving forwards um, to make sure people are sort of in control of their own information. And I think lots of the changes in the ecosystem are naturally just going to do that. Um, in terms of the, so your question, Gemma, I think it's probably the most exciting time over the last 15 years for digital advertising. Oh, to the digital ecosystem overall, not just advertising. Just that there is so much innovation coming through. So you sort of mentioned, I think, in your your question around workarounds. Um, I don't want to work with people who are trying to work around some of that legislation. I want to work with the people who are looking more longer term. Um, there, there is so much innovation though coming through. From you know, there's lots of talk at the moment from a programmatic perspective for contextual partners. And there are so many different versions I'm seeing of ways that people can uh, come up with targeting solutions from a contextual point of view. Technology is changing. And Carsten is probably most certainly in your remit here as an expert on the call. But in terms of, you know, your CDPs from, from originally DMPs through to the clean rooms from all the different technology that's servicing there. So, um, yeah, I think it, just two points I suppose I want to make is, firstly, I think it's going to be easier for people to opt out of that personalization. But there's so much changing but we need to make sure we're working with responsible companies moving forward. Karsten, let's bring you in here. I'm still I'm still looking for these examples of who's doing it right, where we can get this inspiration from. I mean, one thing to kind of point out the flaws or the things that we need to improve, and I think, um, love your point around personalization and how to be personalized, the personalization is, is so, so key. Um, but I think it, there's still more to be done in terms of working out, well, what does that actually look like in practice? Karsten, I would love to hear from you. You mentioned being inspired by other industries. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, so so concretely, uh, um, you know, uh, consulting with with uh, one of the biggest uh, CPG brands in the world, uh, I, I think they're they're certainly uh, rushing ahead to take and and, and embrace this, and and uh, 
You should remember, I think part of this is the innovation, as Terry also posted, that, that for, 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 for brands that actually have a consumer interest at heart, and that, that might sound a little bit phony, but actually have you know, interactions with consumer and deliver value, this is actually going to be a, a great jump for them. Uh, uh, I think it's, it's no secret now, Adidas has put out their press release saying that this is a transformational to their entire business. It's not an incremental step for them, it's transformational. And they actually see it as one of their biggest advantages that they have this trusted relationship with their consumers. And they're going to change the way they do retail. They're going to change the way they do digital experiences. They're going to change the way they consume data. So, uh, sorry, I, I skipped uh, from CPG into Adidas. I'm going to go back to the CPG brand I had in mind. And I'm just going to say that, you know, um, part of... Part of why this call is a little bit uh, hard to, to, to pull off, in my perspective, Gemma, is that we're advising so many clients that actually right now are trying to figure out what is the right path to go down. And, and they don't really want to expose their internal considerations just as of yet. You know, I think that as we'll enter the fall and the beginning of the new year, you'll see a lot more Adidas is going out and say, this is our clear strategy. And we're advising a lot of them. So going back to Olivia's point there on saying, you know, what about this uh, remembering the, you know, the personalization or how, you know, impactful or does the consumer actually want this level of, of personalization? I see, I see brands actually taking a step you know, beyond just the, here's your cookie opt-out, do you want to be tracked or not? Like, I think that uh, what I'm seeing is that we've, we've got this new, you know, lots of innovation with consent flags and all of that, but actually treating it as a first-party data citizen. Uh, that, that's a little bit nerdy, but actually remembering this data attribute is as important as anything else, as the color that you wanted or the product you bought. So, uh, you know, a lot of less premium brands, let's put it that way, seem to sort of think that it, you have to overcome it. And the sooner you can, re, you know, forget that someone opted out, the better, because then you can start targeting them again. But I see really responsible brands now saying, no, this is a protection of the relationship we have with our consumers. We now to treat and store these consent flags and what they mean in the same rigor that we're doing with other preferences that the consumer has. And we're using quite advanced tools to actually stitch together and remember. So even some brands have asked us, like a, a very famous, uh, well-known uh, 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 kids brand has asked us to say, well, what if, even if we're just a little bit doubtful of whether we've got the consent, can we use the probability to then say, okay, but then we're gonna respect it like they don't want personalization. So if we're in doubt, then go the other way. And I, I see, you know, premium brands, you know, tending and trending towards this. And I think you're seeing the same, Olivia. So, you know, I'm really, really hopeful. And, and I love to work with these brands that actually grab the innovation to make it, you know, something where they can leapfrog the industry that's trying to make workarounds. I see a lot of our competitive agencies also putting workaround solutions out there. I think that I'm very proud to be part of uh, what is a tide, I think, almost inside WVP of saying, look, we're not going to make a workaround. We're going to jump to the end of the conclusion. And this isn't about a cookie. It's not about the mobile ID. This is about consumer privacy and, and acting responsibility uh, in, that, in that respect. Yeah, I would, I would totally echo the, the difficulty of talking about brands who haven't yet solidified their plans and, and therefore, you know, it's difficult to give examples. But what I would say is that the conversations have moved 
I mean, over the last two years since I've been sort of banging the drum for ethics, the conversations have been have kind of moved from me sort of trying to open the conversation over a cup of coffee to brands coming to us and saying, you know, advise us, we need help. We really want to tackle this. One of the things I think is really interesting and touching on what Carsten was just saying um, is, is an idea of sort of moving from preference centers, which are very much a kind of a topic and a, a technology that we're all looking at at the moment. Don't call them preference centers. Talk about personalization centers. Let's make personalization, you know, absolutely a central part of our first party data about about our customers. Um, on the on the kind of the, the question about examples of what's what's happening and kind of what changes are going through, I think that open data movement that has been spearheaded by sort of not-for-profit organizations like the ODI, I think that's a really interesting area for brands. I'm not sure brands are sort of ready to get into the kind of the sharing of data in the public arena for sort of social good, although I think, you know, there are elements of that happening. But I think that sharing of data between um, partner companies is a really interesting field. And doing that in a privacy compliant manner, using kind of, you know, your clean rooms and so on, I think is a trend that is going to grow and grow. Um, again, I would defer to Tarek and Karsten for the technical details on that. But, um, but I do think as a kind of a, a bold trend, that's definitely one to watch. So let's let's zoom out a little bit then and 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 talk about what it is that that companies need to do to ready themselves or to be able to dive into these changes in a way that isn't just going oh no we don't know what to do everything's going to change but rather having this mindset shift as opposed to this workaround shall we say um, mindset that that many do um you know who's responsible for these changes um within a company what do they need to do in terms of implementing technologies let's talk about you know people process ecosystems uh, not just uh, new tech I'd, I'd love to hear from all three of you what your kind of perspective is in terms of that that company shift uh, Tarek let's start with you I'm going to go back slightly to one of the questions you asked before but you you, talk, you asked about examples and one example that comes through really clearly for me, which is a lovely one, is McDonald's. So McDonald's, um, they, I don't know if it was 12 months ago or, you know, they started promoting it at least around 12 months ago, maybe a bit more, but it was their app. Um, now, that's an excellent app because it's more convenient for me to order my burgers on the way to McDonald's if I want to be going there. Um, they offer me discounts and incentives. They send me push notifications about certain things on the menu. So I'm like a McDonald's fiend. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively healthy. But the point being, there is a reason of why I want to provide my information to McDonald's um, because there is a value to me for, from doing that. Now, that's just one example. There's many different examples out there. Um, I was reading the other day about Maybelline, and they've been doing a big piece on trying to make sure that their loyalty programs, they're getting people to sort of sign up to that because there's a reason to come to them. So I know I previously, previously said the words sort of value exchange. It's really important for there to be a reason for me to consent and provide my information. So just in terms of, sort of future strategies, it's going to be really important for brands to really be thinking about what am I offering my customers and why should they provide their consent? Because once you have that, you can use it for targeting purposes to continue to talk to them about your um, products and services to cross-sell potentially um, new products that you, you've launched as well as you can have consent to then model their data to make sure that you're, you continue to be really relevant for them. 
Um, so th there's lots of different benefits there. And Liv, you talked about clean rooms there. There's going to be different ways in which we can start doing that, as well as having first-party data, how we can start enhancing it as well. And that's the second-party data relationship as well, where that comes in. Um, because, you know, we're working with one of our clients at the moment. It's a large, large client. Uh, and we're talking about how we can enhance their first-party data understanding so we can have a more relevant conversation with those customers, again, but that's done in a privacy-safe way. Um, Olivia, though, I want, to, I want to come back to you then and push a little bit more on this point about, um, I guess, the, the, the mindset shift or the, the structural shift or whatever it is of a company, because obviously, you know, speaking about data ethics more broadly, I can imagine that's going to be a big part of that conversation. It's not just what new tech you're using is how do you you know approach the c-suite about this how do you make this everybody's problem not just one person's problem um, and how do you think about the actual structure of a company uh, beyond just the the tech team so I'd, I'd love to hear from you a little bit about how companies can um think about um i guess readying themselves or improving themselves so that they're approaching this idea of um again not a workaround but rather a completely different approach to thinking about data I think the answer to that depends on the different types of data use. So if I'm thinking of it from a data ethics perspective, so specifically data ethics in terms of sustainability, the kind of the impact on the environment, I would say that everybody's responsible and you're going to get a huge sort of groundswell up from your employees because everybody's interested in this topic, particularly the younger generations. Um, managers play a role in... Um, setting sort of the targets, setting the kind of the vision, creating that desire, creating that ability to make change. But but it's a kind of a whole company um, decision. I'd say it's pretty similar for something like the, the privacy conversation too, where you've got everybody involved. Everybody who's using data or making a decision about personalization in a campaign is as responsible as the kind of the manager or the CEO. Um I think that when it comes to things like the use of second party data, it's a, a more specific use case uh, involving sort of the marketing department and the IT department. And it's not sort of, you know, the whole organization getting involved. So it really does depend. But with any change, I mean, this all, this comes back to kind of standard change management, doesn't it? It's creating awareness um, and then and then creating desire and then giving people the tools to kind of affect the change. When it comes to the kind of, major mind shift I'd go back to what I said earlier actually which is you know data is not an afterthought anymore it's not a byproduct um Google realized this back in sort of 2002 but the rest of us have perhaps been a bit slower to catch up um it is not just something that happens it is something that ought to be thought about you know you need a data strategy that really clearly thinks what data do we need how are we going to collect it how are we going to collect it in a manner that maintains our consumers trust how are we going to be transparent in our use of it because if you're transparent then people are less likely to sort of lose trust in you and how are we going to give our consumers real control and actually i'd argue against Tarek's point earlier i don't i don't think people have control over their data use at all at the moment i mean really zero control so you definitely need a data strategy in the same way that you have a technology strategy and i don't think that companies have necessarily thought that way up until now um, so it does need to be very thoughtful. And I think that to encourage the C-suite to do this, you need to put this into kind of commercial terms. You know, where is the business value of doing this? And the business value is in not losing people's trust, in not having some sort of reputational fallout. And that is real money. I mean, that has a financial impact. So it is 
coming back to this idea of data that is now a liability rather than an asset and getting people to kind of take it very seriously as a result. But it's not all doom and gloom, you know, you, the, there are business opportunities too. Well, that's a, that's a good point then to, to come back to you, Karsten, because I'd love to, to pull you in and, and to really hear from your side of expertise. This is a difficult time in say, saying what will be the right next step. And, you know, what we're advising is that there's clearly a, a right ethics to go along by. And I think that's what we're preaching. When we're saying it's not clear, you know, what will be the right solution in five years from now. So a lot of the advice we're giving is like, there are good players out there. There are good partners to pick from. There are There is good technology to pick out and lean into, but it's not one-stop solution. So that creates complexity inside an organization where, you know, in the past you might have gone out and bought the best DMP in the market and then you had access to every piece of data you ever wanted. That was great from an operational side because the one vendor, you know, pick the best and you're done. But now you, you have to sort of live over there. I, I think, you know, as I say, you know, identity is going to stay in flux for the next five years. What I mean by that is there's no clear winning strategy around. There's best practices, but you'll need to adapt this and take ownership of it and build your processes and your organizations to insulate you and work with multiple parties uh, around data um, that can be trusted. So AI fits into part of that. And we've talked about clean rooms and you know, don't get me started on clean rooms. I think that there's some that gives me privacy goosebumps and then there's uh, some clean room usages which are totally valid. Just briefly, for people who don't know what a clean room is, can you just quickly define it? A clean room essentially is that uh, the promise is that two participating parties, A and B, uh, they have uh, data on, let's say, me, Carsten Hulday. Uh, and so if they have the same email address, basically they can ask a third party, this could be Google or a, a new upstart like InfoSum, to put it into a database, never move the database, but still, you know, and this is going to like in RAM, like create the query that combines the data anyway. So actually, if you just took a stance on value, you could actually make promises and say, look, we're going to promise we're not keeping data on you. Like, but we can still go a long way to finding buckets to put you in to give you relevance. And I think that AI fits a particular purpose there. And I'm just going to mention another technology term here called federated learning, which is like being brought to the community by Apple and now by Google, a little bit reluctant, you could say, but, you know, being there, we're leaning heavily into this and we're helping clients deploy this so that they can make new types of promises of saying, we're not storing data on you, but we're still going to try to be as relevant as possible. And so, yeah. That was a long answer, sorry. <laughs> Tarek, I want to I want to bring you in here as well because you earlier on you were saying, you know, um, I think you said it's the most exciting time to be in this area because of the amount of innovation and, and I guess the the the, the force um, of change right now. So we're going to start sort of rounding off and, and getting a little bit of practical advice. But I wonder if you could just build on on that a little bit and building on this opportunity point that both Olivia and Carsten have made and, and and really make the case for for brands who are you know perhaps people listening in thinking god this is all a bit daunting really um what is it that makes you so excited about this and why should brands be sort of diving in both feet first so i suppose the best way of answering that with lots of change comes opportunity with opportunity gives you a chance to succeed versus your competitors and if you manage things in the right way with the right support I mean, we're doing a lot of work at Wavemaker with our partners. Um, we're doing um, 
third-party cookie dependency audits at the moment to understand, I suppose, we've got five different areas. There's 165 different questions in total to understand across those different areas what's impacted and what's our, our advertisers' reliance on those tactics to then plan ahead. That's our commitment that we went to the market with by saying um, that we'll be doing that by the end of June. Now, that's great news because that allows us to start focusing. That then means that we can start planning ahead to, to make sure that we can take that opportunity um, and make sure we're as best prepared as we possibly can be. The other thing to say, though, is what we know today is most likely to change tomorrow. Um, so we can only plan with what we know right now. And as things develop, then we um, we, we, we change with that. Um, so, yeah, there's just with so much flux, it just means that we really need to be prepared in the right way. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's so many different things changing, as we've talked about in this conversation. So building on that point about being prepared in the right way, I'm going to ask um, each of you, but I'll, I'll stick with you first of all, Tarek. What would be a, a, a nice piece of practical advice that you would give to brands um, looking to navigate this future um, or prepare rather for this future? What would be a nice uh, a nice piece of advice that you'd, you'd like to pass on? So there's three things, not one, but three different things. Fine, that you're breaking to... my rules the whole time. It's all good. <laughs> um, the first one is just focusing on consent. And the right type of consent, like Carsten and Olivia have talked about, making sure people are aware of what they're consenting to and how their data and information is being used. But in order to get consent, brands seriously need to think about what they're going to offer in return to get that consent in the right way. Um, as more and more attention um, comes on the subject of what their data is being used for, less people want to, unless it's clear. So brands should have strategies, firstly, around that. That's the first point I want to make. The second point is right now, I talked about sort of client dependency audits. It's abundantly clear that targeting in the advertising space is going to fundamentally change. So brands need to have a test and learn approach and test and learn a philosophy to make sure they are going to be um, testing new opportunities. As we talked about this innovation that's coming through to make sure they can sort of track and understand like futuristic type of opportunities of targeting alongside the business as usual that you'd be running today. So that's the second thing. And the third thing we haven't really touched on today is measurement. And this log level ad server data and all these different facts and figures that we think is one source of the truth, that's not the case. Um, we have something called the calibrated portfolio that we work with our clients. And essentially that is an approach to measurement, which is there is not one source of the truth. There is never going to be one source of the truth. There's going to be many different sources of information which can set us in the right direction. So we need to think about new ways of approaching measurement. And what a great time to do this with so much change going on. Let's work with the commercial finance teams to make sure that we're thinking about that in the most um, robust way. Thinking about new, say new but old classic analytical um, practices in order to, to get causal effect of whether something is working or is not working. So yeah, three things. First thing is consent. Second thing is a test and learn philosophy. And the third thing is a new opportunity to think and consider measurement for the future. Amazing. Uh, that, that, thank you for Tarek. That was, uh, that was really practical despite uh, being three when I last for one, but whatever, it's all good. Um, <laughs> let's go to you next, um, Olivia, for your one thing or three or five, however many you have. Uh, tell us a little bit about some <laughs> practical advice for, for brands. Um, I think first and foremost, I'd say get your data strategy sorted out. And when I talk about data strategy, I'm not talking about anything airy-fairy. I mean, think about how you're going to be using and building your first-party data. Think about what you're doing with second-party data. Think about control. I'd widen the consent point that Tarek just made into 
control. So are you going to be transparent in your data use? Uh, are you going to give consumers the right to disagree to personalize their personalization. Amazing. Thank you for those top tips, Olivia. That's um, that's absolutely brilliant. Let's move to you finally, Karsten. That's a tough spot to put me in like that. Those I know because everything's like, already excellent. been said, but you're going to have to think yeah. of something can new, I, you know? <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I just say I, I agree with all of that? But then let me add one thing, which is I think that every brand right now is realizing this is a, is a particularly is a moment to be decisive and take the right steps uh, from ethical but also business reasons. But I think they're all overwhelmed. I think it's my position on this to talk about AI, but rather I think that find, a, find someone who can educate on what's going on right now as a first step and really know, you know, because this changes every week. Why did Google get, uh, you know, a slam uh, on, the, on their face last week from, uh, from GDPR and the EU? Why did that happen? I mean, and, and, and you need to know these things. You need to know the distinction because if you're formulating your entire brand strategy, you can't just pick you know, technology or processes if you don't understand what's really going on. So, so do that. And then I would lean in and say the next step from being educated is clearly then find someone who can help you pick apart, you know, do an analysis of what's going on inside your business right now. And once you've done those two steps, then you can start to plan and you know, go into a design for design, for technology, but also new partnerships, opportunities, business processes, all of that. But right now, I must say that there's so much noise. So my advice would be pick a trusted partner and get, you know, educated fast. This is, this is, gonna, be, this is gonna be critical. And, and I think that every brand realizes this, but there is a process, there is a step to go through. We've seen a lot of brands go through these steps now. I, th I think, it, it, and, and timeline is up now. So, you know, if you're not moving, you should get educated and, and get a diagnosis of, of what the status is and, and then plan from there. Amazing. Thank you all so much for all that brilliant um, practical advice at the end there. I think there's there's so many steps um, that brands um, and, and the representatives who are, who are listening that can really dive into immediately. And yes, you're right, it can perhaps um, seem overwhelming, but there are small things that can be done immediately that build up into this bigger, this bigger um, real shift that is, that is required, um, but also exciting at the same time. So um, Olivia, Karsten, Tarek, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing with us all of your, your wonderful insights. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Wonderman Thompson technology podcast. You can follow us at One Thompson Tech on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, or visit us at wondermanthompson.com. Don't forget to tune in to next month's episode of The Experience Makers, when we'll be discussing how fashion is transitioning online. With the help of Wonderman Thompson Commerce, Attract, and Commerce Tools' recent report, we will consider what today's fashion consumers expect from retailers and brands, both online and in store.